0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudaman, And we've got a full complement of the Cricket Ultras team on today's podcast. From Singapore, Darren Burns. Hello. Hey, how are you guys? Okay. I'm very well, thanks. And also joining us in Hong Kong, Toby Doman. Toby.
1: Very good afternoon to you both. How are you? Uh,
2: Well. I actually want to ask you something, Arun. How is your Hong Kong state of mind? <laughs> it's, um,
0: it's complicated, Darren. It's very complicated, as, as I'm sure you know. Interesting times in Hong Kong, but great tune. Check it out.
2: It is a great tune. Why can't we, can we use it as our theme music? I know we can negotiate a deal, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have the right way to sponsor. <laughs> yeah. If any of you don't know, go online and search for Hong Kong state of mind featuring Arun Sadarman on the mic. It's pretty impressive. Thank
0: you very much. Yeah,
2: it's... um, It's, I was very impressed. It's it's one of a few tracks that the group I'm in have have
0: come out with recently. Yeah, it's a a very political time in Hong Kong. But we're here to talk about cricket. Which is not political, is it? Well, there's a lot of politics. (laughs) There's a lot of cricket, in fact, since we were last on on air. So we've got three big test series to talk about. We have uh, lots of shenanigans in Bangladesh. Uh, we have a new, I was going to say a new leader for world cricket, but actually, it's just the BCCI. It might as well be World cricket. Uh, Saurav Ganguly has taken
2: over. 70% of the, new re- of the world revenue from cricket. Correct. From India. Yes. There
0: you go. And 90% of, hot, of the hot air. Uh, <laughs> Saurav Ganguly, I think we talked about this on the last episode, he's now taken over and he's, he's saying all the right things. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about a controversial Ranking. Is it controversial? I don't know. A controversial ranking of the top cricket grounds in the world, Toby. We'll get to that later on. But let's start in Brisbane, Darren, where Pakistan are taking on Australia, and there's a 16 year old firebrand who has garnered a lot of attention, but it seems to have been all Australia so far.
2: Well, it wasn't all Australia. It hasn't been all Australia, to be honest. I think the opening morning, uh, the two opening batsmen from Pakistan posted the highest. The opening partnership by a touring team ever at the Gabba, Sham Masood and Azza Ali. I think they went to lunch with no wickets down, so it, everyone thought it was going to be a slaughter early up. It wasn't. They powered through that first session and got to about 70-odd or 80-odd, I think, 75, and then it started to crumble after that, didn't it, sort of, normal service was resumed. But one sort of feels like it's the halcyon days of Australian cricket have returned, Warner a- bashing everything around, you know, the, all the quick bowlers up there and firing around and, you know, Volley's coming out of their frightened center out of uh, Nathan Lyon's mouth. Yeah, it feels like it's sort of returned to the normal situation. You know, they, they trounced Pakistan and Sri Lanka uh, in the T20 series before this Test match series. So, yeah, it seems like normal services resumed after the blip last summer where they lost to India at home. But um, having, I think having Warner and Smith back on the team really looks good and they, they seem to be um, really uh, dropping Pakistan at the moment. It looked like Pakistan
0: didn't make the best use of conditions it wasn't a pitch to get bowled out for 240
2: was it no it didn't seem like it it seems, it seems like a pretty good wicket I mean they started really well and what happened was I think they were leaving the ball a lot outside the off stump they weren't sort of getting suckered into those those drives or back foot pushes but after lunch they certainly did there were a lot of loose shots kind of pushing at balls where in Australia where the bounce is quite high you know taking the outside of the bat and being caught behind so yeah a bit of lack of discipline you'd have to say as well not a huge surprise
0: from this pakistan batting lineup much of the attention though has been on the pakistan bowlers uh, nasim shah 16 years old played i think only seven first class games
2: and clocked up some really impressive speeds i think he he almost got a wicket today yes except for the, the huge no ball that he bowled um yeah he really rushed the australian batsman he hit uh, joe burns a couple of times um, i guess the big surprise too was mohammad abbas was left out of the 11 which people felt quite surprising given his um, astonishing international record. I think he's averaged something like 20. He's taken a bunch of wickets wherever he's bowled. So very surprising that he's not on the team. Yeah, but uh, Nasim Shah looks like something, doesn't he? 16 years old, they claim. He's 16, not sure how old he really is. Well, I think uh,
0: there's a story um, in Dawn where Andy Roberts praises Nasim Shah a uh, sixteen-year-old fast bowler, and that's from twenty
2: sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Shahid Afridi. But who 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 are we to quibble?
1: Where did they Where did they find this guy from, by the way? Because I was looking into him, and and apparently the the world record debut age is fourteen. Hassan, also a Pakistani, right? Hassan Raza. I mean, imagine that you just come out of school, and someone says that you're you're needed over in Lahore for a test match. So, I mean, where does where does a sixteen-year-old ply their trade in in Pakistan? Well,
0: I don't know if you remember Hassan Raza, but. I'm he did. He did not look fourteen. But anyway, um, back to Nasim Shah. Uh, so he's from a very small village. Apparently, I think he caught the. He moved to Lahore and caught the eye. Uh, did, did his training in Abdul Qadir Cricket Academy. Caught the eye of selectors and Academy. Yeah. I mean, look, we don't know. You know, we. He's very young. That's. I think we can all agree on that. And notwithstanding any doubts about his age, it's one of the great stories. I think that Pakistan will consistently take chances on
2: young young fast bowlers in particular.
0: Uh, and it often pays off. So
2: Yeah, and the poor guy, he, he lost his mum, I think, earlier in the week. And he, you know, I think I think for religious reasons, they had to have the funeral within 24 hours. And they worked out he couldn't make it back there within 24 hours because he comes, from, as you said, a small village with travel and everything. He wouldn't be able to make it. So, I mean, an astonishing story. I, I know that it was on the ticker on CNN last night and also on BBC. So getting a lot of coverage around the world. Um, good luck to the young man. He looks like a real handful too. Yeah, he really does. I like his action. They, I, I, I actually watched uh, watched him
0: bowl on, on TV earlier today, and um, they had him up comparing his action to Dennis Lillian. it was very similar. Which, um, which I, 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 you know, hadn't had not occurred to me at all. But yeah, he looks good. Any any surprises um, before we we finish this? Just in terms of Australia's team selection for this Test match?
2: No, I, I think it was pretty straightforward. I mean, they they brought back Joe Burns in the opening spot, I, I think rightly so. Uh, I think he scored 180 in his last test in Australia then was dropped and didn't play in the ashes, which was kind of stupid, right? If they had him, maybe they could have done better with that opening spot. Uh, but he seems to be back and doing pretty well. The rest of them, I think are pretty, pretty much locked in. Uh, there was some discussion around Travis head, I think, um, seeing that he was dropped during the ashes, but, but I think fairly enough, he, he, he's got back on the squad. Um, Khawaja has been jettisoned, it seems, my pick was that Kawaja might open with Warner, given his astonishing opening record in, in Australia, but he seems to be jettisoned at the moment. And, and your favourite, uh, Sean Marsh, also seems to be on the scrap heap as well. So I, I think that eleven looks fair enough to me. Osman Kawaja was a bit of a surprise to me, though I must admit.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's. Should we move over to? Let's should we cross the? What is the the Tasman Sea? Is that the? Uh... It, it is. is. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I mean,
2: what an educated man you are. I'm, I'm on fire. <laughs> you are
0: Toby, on fire. tell us about England, New Zealand, where Ben Stokes is flourishing in home conditions.
1: <laughs> yeah, New Zealand of the year is looking very, very good um, at the Bay Oval. So this is the first time, I think, any test has been played at at the Bay Oval and it does look like a, a beautiful ground. I think New Zealand, interestingly, are making it, taking the distinction in terms of playing tests in these slightly more bucolic Surrounding these smaller grounds whereas the short form seems to get the caked in for example or Eden Park so I think it's an interesting choice and I think it looks absolutely beautiful and yeah you're right uh, Stokes has, has batted very well for England I think England will be happy with their, their total that they managed to post I think with New Zealand in, and it's obviously game over there now in New Zealand. But they're posting 350, which maybe just above par. The wicket looks like it's got a little bit in it. Um, Kane Williamson, in particular, um, just after scoring a half century, Sam Curran with his little left arm pingers managed to get him, at, winkle him out with a, a one that really spat off a, off a length. But yeah, back to back to England's batting, and I think um, the two big talking points were the inclusion of Dominic Sibley as yet another opening partner um, well Rory Burns is I guess the established partner but having played a few games during the Ashes in the Sri Lanka tour uh, and then Ollie Pope um, further down the order in at 6 and then Joe Denley is I guess being pushed into the new Jonathan Trott role uh, it's that awful number 3 spot that no one seems to want, he acquitted himself very well, actually played beautifully um, and patiently which is Silverwood's new mantra, you know we're not playing fast forward cricket anymore he says but Stokes is the man with, with ninety one. Um, and just on the New Zealand side, I think their their side is much more settled than England's. Uh, their bowling attack is well grooved. Uh, Trent Bolt and Tim Southey are kind of the two um, points of the attack, uh, and backed up with our favourite double doubler Colin de just the Big Man. <laughs> if for uh, any French speakers out there, um, and just just interesting. Now I was just having a look. You know, I love a stat. Uh, and just looking at the uh, the New Zealand sort of bowling wicket takers, actually New Zealand wicket takers at home since two thousand and eighteen, uh, Trent Bolt and Tim Southey I think thirty two and thirty one respectively, wickets. There have been no wickets taken by a New Zealand spinner at home in a test since twenty eighteen, which is a bit shocking. Yeah, that is amazing. So you said I
0: just wanted to flag one. You said Grandon, and not 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 Grandon.
1: Yeah, you're going with Grandon. I'm going with Grandom as I guess he's probably from a French background. From right. uh, you, know, you know, I like it. Guessing. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, no. You gotta, you gotta own it. I think the big man,
1: the big man. We'll call him the big man.
0: Another test for England without Jimmy Anderson. Is this, is this life after Jimmy now?
1: Well, I saw him. He's back in training, and I think, I think he's doing some warm weather training in Spain somewhere. I think England's bowling attack. Or the big question mark was, was it Wokes or was it Curran? And I think Wokes at eight and it's, you know, the diet of right arm, medium pace, I think, needed to be broken up. So it looks like the right decision. I think Curran brings that variety with his left arm. Um, he's not particularly quick, probably sort of low 80 miles an hour maximum, but he seems to bring a different angle to it. So he's, he's bowled well. Darren Goff is obviously the new uh, bowling coach. So let's see what he has to say after this, this test wraps up.
2: Yeah, and I think Wokes doesn't travel very well, does he? I don't think his record abroad is particularly that good, is it?
1: No, and if you think about um, England's calendar for the next sort of season and a half, you know, there are something like 25 tests to the next Ashes, which I guess everyone's building towards. Uh, South Africa up next. Uh, New Zealand, these pitches are probably similar with a kookaburra, similar that uh, the England attack we're going to face in Australia. You know, the first 20 overs are critical and then that ball just does nothing and it's hard yakka for the rest of the day. So they've got to really hit on a combination soon. So I think Jimmy, if they can... Nurse him through the summer against the West Indies and I think Pakistan in the test series, you have one more tilt at the ashes, but it's, I, I don't know. It might be a stretch.
2: Maybe Jimmy's focusing on his podcast.
1: He, he's very good at that he's too. Quite, he's very quite good.
0: surprisingly good at it. Surprisingly. Isn't he? Yeah. I, I think he's, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of reinventing himself
2: with his shredder. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, um,
2: Jimmy in the shredder.
0: Yeah. No, he's, he's done, he's done well with the podcast. Not, not that we
2: uh, we mind a little competition over here at Cricket Altruist. <laughs> we don't.
1: Other podcasts are available, of course.
2: We are a top 10 podcast for cricket, aren't we? According to your friend. According to, yes. <laughs> your friend who started the list. Yeah, a friend of mine who, who wrote a list. But yes, yeah. that's
0: correct. So where's the next test? I know it's getting ahead of myself a little bit. Where's the next England-New Zealand test match? Do you know?
2: Hamilton. Hamilton.
0: Uh, oh, Hamilton. Excellent. Okay. And has Joffrey Archer done? Because there was a lot of talk about him being the difference between the two sides, but he has been wicketless so far.
1: He has. I think he's bowled quite quickly. I think there's been some chin music shall we describe it i think he managed to hit henry nichols on the head today nichols is not concussed but i think his ears are still ringing he's not out actually by the way henry nichols and bj watling just a, a good sort of rear guard action towards the end of the day they were wobbling a bit uh, towards close at 144 for four but uh, yeah Archer's speeds have been back up i think he'll probably enjoy bowling in these sorts of conditions very light wind um, sunny. I know he doesn't like it when it's too cold. It's a three jump a day. It's not his favourite. Um, so yeah, all eyes on Joffre. It's a shame that Lockie Ferguson didn't make the cut for New Zealand. I think people are expecting a battle of the speed guns between those two guys, but um, maybe, maybe, maybe the next test.
0: But Joffre Archer, possibly the most notable thing he did was was wheeling around on a Segway.
1: Yeah, I've, I've I've never seen that before. Where you do throwdowns on a Segway. I think he managed to annoy his captain quite significantly as well i think uh, the picture in wisdom if you if you've got time check it out on twitter the the look of disdain is uh, is mesmerizing and i don't think he'll be on a Segway again anytime soon
2: seems quite dangerous doesn't it i mean you could easily fall off that and roll over an ankle or do something
1: yeah stupid right I mean, it's a crazy thing to do he's got to be look, looking after himself and i think root will probably have a little word with him about that sounds like fun though <laughs> i'm gonna try later <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's awesome Segway cricket <laughs> hey
1: i mean if, if they
0: can put money behind the hundred then why not segue? Yeah. i mean you
2: could you could have you could have a segue in the field right you could just segue out to the boundary whip the ball up in one of those throwers, beautiful yeah, yeah it's a
0: no-brainer one segue per team so i was innovation
2: <laughs> there innovation. you go
0: so i was surprised to to find out Lockie ferguson this is correct? He's never played a Test match for New Zealand.
1: I think you're right. Yeah, he's 28, which I guess is, is it's not old, but he he's not he's not made it, he, his bow in Tests uh, before. Um, I really like him. I thought him and Matt Henry were the pick of the bowlers for New Zealand uh, during the World Cup. But I I guess it's a horses for courses selection policy with New Zealand. They've got strength and depth, uh, and they look a settled, very good side. So I think England have got a a, a challenge on their hands. I think South Africa in the Tests. Uh, are in disarray in some some respects. So this is going to be one of the tougher challenges for this uh, winter se- session for England.
0: And one final question I had: Are you expecting a lot of technical advice from Darren Goff? <laughs>
1: Pitch it <all>. up <laughs> bowl it fast. Uh, I think, yeah, Goff, Goffy's probably. I, look, I don't know the man. I'll be honest. Um, He's obviously a character and he brings a lot of energy. I'm not entirely sure he's an analytical type. He's probably a, a slap-on-the-arse and G-u-up type, <laughs> shall we say. Yeah, he's
0: good mates with Chris Silverwood, though, isn't he? So I think
1: that might be... A, yeah, yeah, I think there's a, the atmosphere is probably, compared to Trevor Bayliss, I think the atmosphere is probably a lot more convivial in the changing room, but let's see if that translates to results. How did
2: you describe Trevor Bayliss last time, Tubbs?
1: Uh It was like a, a, a bucket hat stuck on top of a stump. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it
2: <laughs> I was watching some of the T10 the other night I was really bored obviously um, there's, there's something going on Abu Dhabi it's just shocking this T10 it's really terrible it's like a lot of you know there's some okay players there but there's some overweight you know past it players and they did an interview on the sideline with Kevin <laughs> Bayliss and he basically said nothing he said oh yeah I think it's enough uh, I think we'll have the bat really well yeah, it's a different t- T10, but it's like T20. And that was all they got out of him. And the commentator said, I think it was Danny Morris. And he said, oh, that's all we've got out of. That's the most we've got out of Trevor Bellis in a long time. You did well. Wow. <laughs> he was
1: terrible. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe he he's, terrible. he's verbose in private. Who knows? Maybe. But yeah, he's, he maybe doesn't, he's funny. doesn't say a lot. He yeah, doesn't. <laughs>
2: I'm sure he's a great bloke. <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice guy. I think he just right.
0: enjoys it now. He's kind of he's running with this this sort of caricature of himself, but you know people do say quite nice things about him. So yeah,
2: they do.
0: All right, shall we move to well? Let's move to India. Let's talk about Bangladesh, shall we? First of all, Bangladesh cricket is in a little bit of disarray. I think uh, it's always flirted. With a level of instability, Uh, but that I think that has kind of elevated over the last couple of weeks. First, the players went on strike. They had 11 demands, uh, most of which revolved around pay and benefits and so on. All the demands were accepted, (laughs) which, uh, yeah, came as a shock to those of us in Hong Kong. So then, of course, the tour with to India went ahead to Test Tour, uh, along with some limited overs matches and T20s. But plans for, uh, I guess, uh, for Bangladesh to make much of a, a showing were, were scuppered soon after when it emerged that their star player, uh, Test Captain Shaqib Al-Hassan, had been given a two-year ban for failing to report corrupt approaches. He accepted three charges relating to requests for inside information for betting purposes. This came just a few days after Shakib al-Hassan himself said, we need salaries to be raised because we all know that domestic matches in Bangladesh, we all know who's going to win them. And, you know, he I think he, in fact, pointed to some matches where there was a bowler who'd bowled 10 overs for 92 runs, thanks to a succession of wides <laughs> and no balls. Wow to which I would say he should come and play for lemming's 11 he'd do quite well perhaps and no one would <laughs> ever suspect he was he was fixing matches um, yeah, yeah but anyway back to shaqiba Al is it's pretty shocking news because he is you know considered the the top all-rounder i mean he is the top all-rounder in the one day international rankings he's he scored you know thousands of of runs and taken hundreds of wickets across all three formats um And he did not report any of these approaches, which is just staggering, really. As um, ICC Anti-Corruption Unit General Manager Alex Marshall said, Shaqib Al-Hassan is a highly experienced international cricketer. He has attended many education sessions and knows his obligations under the code. So that was a huge blow for Bangladesh. And I just worryingly, it just seems like just another reminder that there's a lot of corruption out there. You kind of have to assume this is just the tip of the iceberg. We had the two Hong Kong boys getting banned recently as well. I don't know. I mean, I'd put it to to both of you. Do you think, is the ICC doing enough, or is this just a problem that they, they'll they never really be able to tackle? You know, I,
2: there's a couple of things. I, I think, you know, it, it tends to happen in in areas where there's lower pay, generally speaking, these days, right, where, you know, I, I don't know what they get paid in Bangladesh, but obviously if... You know the temptation is too great, right? If you're not getting paid very much, and someone offers you a couple of grand or more, I mean, there's a temptation there, isn't there? And we have obviously legal betting in many places now, don't we? We have many, many, many legal betting avenues. Um, it seems to have been stamped out to much of a degree in in the more developed markets for cricket, I think. Um, but it's going to be, a, it's going to be. A, I don't know how many people you're going to have to have, but I, I think they do a lot of training. They talk to the players a lot. I guess they're going to have to probably double down on some of the enforcement but I'm not sure they're going to ever stamp it out but it would be great if a a major team now and and Bangladesh is a major team right that they stamp it out there for sure yeah well I mean like I said I think domestic cricket it's rife you just have to wonder though about all these competitions these t-10s which makes yeah exactly I think the test t-10 look like they're made for kind of dodgy dodgy Gambling, gambling right
0: bookmaker's dream so with all of that uh, Bangladesh went into a, a pretty easy assignment against uh, India at home. India are looking uh, just invincible at home at the moment. They steamrolled South Africa, and Bangladesh lost the first test inside three days. The second test started today. It's India's first ever pink ball test. It's a day-night test in Calcutta between India and Bangladesh. So that's that's like a Bengali fantasy come to life under Sarav Gangun. Apparently it's been sold out too, right? Which is very unusual for Test cricket, which is, which is great to see. Yeah. So it's great. I think it's a combination of the fact it's day night, I think because it's Calcutta and it's Bangladesh and India, so it's, you know, it's it's Bengali team. Bangladesh will actually have a lot of support in, in Calcutta. Um, so it's, I mean, that's good news, but Bangladesh are already, um, 73 for six in 20 overs. Um, you know, there's there's not too much to say really about India's performance. The only two things I want to just flag are, um, first of all, India's pace bowlers have just been on fire. I mean, they they were the reason they won the uh, the South Africa series, uh, and it's something you just really don't expect from India at home. I think we've mentioned that before. In the first test against Bangladesh, India's pace bowlers took 14 of the 20 wickets. Uh, Mohammed Shami uh, to the four. Uh, supported by Ishant Sharma and Umesh Yadav so you know interestingly Jasprit Bumrah is not not even playing uh, they're all bowling consistently above 140 uh, in the the test that started today i think umesh has taken three wickets already so that is still still counts as a surprise i think for followers of indian cricket and then the second thing is probably mayank agarwal who's um who scored his second double century in his brief test career, in the first test against Bangladesh, he's now scored something like 850 runs in in uh, eight test matches. He's averaging 71. He's scored two double centuries in 12 test innings. Um, I don't think he'll keep up this
2: pace, but it's quite a nice start to his test career. I mean, in first-class cricket, though, he averages pl- about 50 anyway, and he's averaging 70, isn't he, after... His eight tests is quite phenomenal. He looks like a real really great player, and I think he's been brought into the team. What is he, 28, 29? eight, twenty nine? He's been brought th- he's been brought on the team. You know, not too early, um, having the run of his life. So it reminds me a little bit of when Mike Hussey started um, in his late twenties, or was it even thirty? So he looks like a great player. Good find to partner Rohit Sharma at the top of the order. Yeah, it's looking good for Rohit. How is he going to travel though, Rohit? Do you think he's going to do well in Australia and England and? South Africa, as an opener? I think there's there's two schools of thought. There's the,
0: I suppose, the more sceptical view, which is that Rohit doesn't have the game for um, the more difficult conditions. Or maybe not the game, perhaps the mentality. I think everyone agrees he's got the, the skills. The second school of thought is maybe that now that he's scored some runs in Test cricket, maybe that will, you know, unlock... Something in his in his approach and his mindset, and it will help him when he goes to Australia and South Africa.
2: Yeah, well, I think if you look at David Warner, is a good example, isn't it? Everyone said he was a white ball player, and then he really sort of buckled up and he's emerged as a pretty good Test player. So, yeah, yeah, more power to him. I
0: don't know. I mean, I think he's got the game to do well in overseas conditions. So he's given himself every opportunity now, I guess, to do well. And and the the one thing they won't want to do is is tinker with. That kind of opening combination too much. I think their next away series they're going to they're going to New Zealand next after this, and then they I think they're away until twenty twenty one, actually. So there, there will be a lot of more difficult tests ahead for Rohit Sharma. Okay, so those are the three big series. Toby. Did you want to get us moving on? Uh, on,
1: on- let's let's do this. So look, we've talked about the game, but obviously there are cathedrals of cricket that that people absolutely love around the world, and I guess everyone has their favourite. Um, I came across some, this. Admittedly, the caveat here is about three years old, but it's still I think it's still relevant. It's on the Bleacher Report um, for those who are familiar with this sort of uh, sporting website, and they've basically put together twenty five of the top cricket grounds in the world kind of like top trumps they've put uh four or five criteria and given them those a score out of 10 so for example atmosphere history and aesthetics and then a total so i guess for a bit for a little bit of a laugh um do you want to try and guess the top four and then i'll run down from 10 to one and then we can see how you get on Well, tell you what. Let's do it this way. How about you tell me your personal favourite grounds, just one, and then see if you can tell me the top four in this report. I
2: think aesthetically speaking, Dharamsala is a beautiful ground in India. Uh, When you ever watch it on TV, it just looks amazing. The beautiful mountains going to backing up to the Himalayas there looks pretty cool.
0: Just the one test match, I think, in Dharamsala.
2: Yeah, which is weird, right? We we see the one-day games though. It looks amazing on TV when you see that. It's a great ad for India too.
1: The highest altitude as well, I think, isn't it?
2: And range. Newlands too, I think, is a beautiful ground, right, with Table Mountain in the background. Aesthetically, it's a nice mm. ground. Some of those New Zealand grounds are quite nice. Are they? Okay. Yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. Listen to you.
1: I mean, but you have to say... Oh, uh, they're beautiful. I mean, I,
2: I was lucky enough to be at Lord's this this um, summer, and I mean, that's just the home of cricket. It's really, it's a different atmosphere. It's really where it all originated. It's just such an amazing, amazing place to be and watch a full house at the Ashes. If anybody hasn't done it before, you should do it. Um, and then, of course, you've got the MCG, uh, I guess, which is, you know, kind of the home of cricket in Australia. And I've already bought my tickets to the T20 final next year. Hopefully, Australia will make that against India. That should be quite amazing. When it's full, that ground, you can't, you can't beat the atmosphere there. It's, it's really a cauldron. Uh, and it's a big cauldron, too. You know, seats up to 90,100 people. Yeah,
0: quite an atmosphere when it's empty, too, I should say. Yes, you were there, Yeah, I just when I was there last week. I, I watched your team, Darren, Queensland. Ah, on, you helped them take turn a big turnaround. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say, I was really surprised. I was there on day three of the Sheffield Shield game, and it, and it looked like uh, Victoria were going to win, but somehow Queensland turned it around and won the match. And it was a very feisty affair in the end. There was a, I think there was some, uh, there was a lot of sledging. I
2: think someone got a, a, a fine. Yes, James Pattinson was banned for using a homosexual remark against somebody. Yeah,
0: it's it's it's, it's an immense ground. So I would say my favourite ground is Lords because I think the history and the atmosphere is is really is really impressive. It, it's a small ground. I would say the top four. So I would go with
1: yeah. Let's get your top fours. So number one in in sort of dropping in descending order, your number four, Arun, what would you go for? Eden Gardens.
0: Number three. Uh, Newlands.
1: Nice. Number
0: two, I'd actually go with the Adelaide oval is it the adelaide oval yeah adelaide and number one i'd go with number one i'd go with lords well the adelaide oval i've never actually been to it but it's it's always mentioned as like the most beautiful cricket ground in the world or at least up there
1: um so that would be my top four darren you're for descending what's your sort of number four
2: well i said dharamsala but for aesthetics but i think i think i've never been to any grounds in india but i you know reputation and just the atmosphere at eden gardens eden gardens whether it's at a IPL match or you know, one day international, it seems to be pretty amazing. The only thing about the grounds in India is they, don't, they often don't have a big following at test matches, which is awful because you don't get that atmosphere. They're horrible places. Actually, the, the nicest ground I've been to in India is Vankedi in
0: Bombay. That's quite a, quite a comfortable ground by Indian standards. But Indian grounds in general, I don't know if this was a criteria, though. They're, they're, they're horrible places.
2: But anyway, sorry.
1: Yeah, so we'll get to the aesthetics.
2: I'm going to say that's probably my number four. And then, and then I think Wacker, you know, went there for the first time for the last test match ever there uh, in the Ashes two years ago. I think it's an amazing ground. It's a great seeing ground. You can see that you're really close to the action. There's a good atmosphere. It's, it's, it's probably the same size as, as, the, as Lord's, right? So it's not a huge ground, but you're very close to the action. Uh, there's, they have great food and beverage. They have good facilities. Uh, it's a really nice uh, environment as well. And it has that fast carry. Um, through the keeper, the, the ball really sl- slaps onto the gloves of the keeper, and it's quite a unique ground in the world. So you have a very fast and bouncy wicket, which is probably the most f- the fastest wicket in the world. Then I'd probably say, you know, I've got, I'd probably say the MCG. Um, you know, I, I think MCG just has a great atmosphere. Either whether whether it's at the AFL or the cricket, when you're there with the full house, it's just such an amazing place. Uh, the crowd gets very involved, um, much to the chagrin of some of the players like Stuart Broad and some of the other touring players, and it gets a bit rowdy in Bay 17, uh, but has everything there. Uh, quite a good facility as well. It's like a coliseum, that place, isn't it? It is. I think it really is. And, and, they, and, and yeah, Victorians love their sport, right? So there's they often get out and support, whether it's rugby there or whatever. It's always a great atmosphere and, and totally full. And then I guess I've, I've got to say, be boring and say Lords as well. I mean, I went there for the first time this summer and I was just blown away. It's just an amazing place to watch cricket. Uh, people are very knowledgeable. They enjoy the game. And they appreciate both sides that are playing. So, yeah, I'd have to say those. Uh, Can I just say for the worst ground in the world, I'd go for (laughs)
0: Headingley? In what way? way? Just the level of. Can you know dismay, dissatisfaction, and bitterness <laughs> in this
1: in this taste That that's probably not just 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 confined to heading. It's probably the county of Yorkshire uh, around. Really I'm, I'm not sure I go that,
0: that. far, Toby, but
1: <laughs> joking, joking, joking. Yorkshire, sorry. I used Yorkshire, to go to Headingley so.
0: all the time because I studied. I, I was a student at Leeds University, and so I'd go there very very often. And uh, yeah, not a lot of positivity. In those stands. <laughs> Let, me just, uh...
1: Let me give All you the right. top ten. Then this is according to the Bleacher Report. It's not legally binding or anything like that. Those are the caveats. So coming binding. in at number ten. <laughs> coming in at number ten is Gaul in Sri Lanka. Um, with its beautiful Dutch fort overlooking the, the wicket. And it's got a optimistically telling me that the capacity is 35,000. But it was partially destroyed in the tsunami, Boxing Day tsunami, of course. Uh, number nine, Edgebaston, According to Alex Stewart, it's up there with Eden Gardens. I'll let you make your mind up on that one. Nice ground.
0: I mean, it's a, it's a fortress... It's a fortress for England.
1: A- Aesthetics-wise, it's been improved, yeah, it's right?
0: It's a nice ground. I don't know. I prefer Trent Bridge.
1: And in, his- in terms of history, they gave it a seven because Brian Lara's five hundred one not out. Um, so that scored twenty-two points. Edgebuston, number eight, the Adelaide Oval at fifty-three thousand capacity. Um, fantastic atmosphere gets a seven. The infamous Bodyline series of nineteen thirty-two reached its peak at the ground. Yeah, and of
2: course, the pink ball tests were trialled there, weren't they? As well, they cre- created a pretty good atmosphere as well. Interesting.
0: Is it not as pretty now after being redeveloped? That's is that the because
2: you know there was a time when people would just talk about Adelaide as being the yeah because you used to have a sort of view of the city didn't you of the churches and everything else but now I think it's been covered with the stands but I guess it's
1: still a nice ground. Uh, Number seven, Trent Bridge, only seventeen thousand, quite a small ground, built in eighteen forty-one. I like Trent Bridge a lot. It's a really nice ground, right by the river.
0: It is small, yeah, but it's nice. And it also
1: has one of the world's best scoreboards, apparently. Does it not? I must check it out. There you go. Twenty-three. Number number six. Newlands, uh, Cape Town. Twenty-five thousand. Built in eighteen eighty-nine. Obviously, Table Mountain makes it makes it absolutely spectacular. And it's been around for one hundred and twenty-five years. Fifty tests and nine centuries from Jacques Callis means it's quite a historic ground for the Proteas. That just
0: makes it more dull, in my opinion. But
2: okay, oh, yeah. Go. I must <laughs> forgot. I must about him. Okay. Imagine having to sit through nine centuries.
1: Into the fives now, and Sydney Cricket Ground comes in at five at forty four thousand. It's more personable than the than the G, and it's one of the world's great cricketing cathedrals. And obviously Sir don Bradman's uh backyard at four five two, not out, his first his highest first class score ever. And former Australia skipper Ricky Ponting holds the record for the most triple figure scores at six pretty good and then into the four the Oval in London at 23,500 quite raucous people love the Oval the
0: people really love it yeah and I, I've never been
2: that big a fan I haven't been there before I must go yeah there's a lot of football yeah. chanting uh, history
1: wise it does well a lot of football chanting it's a little bit less than Edgebuston on the football side but it, it's a bit more brash than, than Lords I guess uh, it had the first ever test match and it's hosted an FA Cup final and it's the birthplace of the Ashes um And it hits 25 on the scores. Number three, Eden Gardens in Kolkata, 66,000 capacity, built in 1864. Aesthetics-wise, it's not that great. That's what lets it down. Um, But the history and the atmosphere is a 10.000 you know fantastic rite of passage for any cricketer international cricketer number two Melbourne Cricket Ground at 96,000 the Bay 13 area is, is obviously infamous and it's not as old as Lords, but it's had 160 years of action and loads of iconic moments including Trevor Chappell's underarm delivery
2: a day of shame (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's at 25 that scores in there and then number one is Lords. I think no surprise um, it's the home of cricket and with 2001, uh, 2015 runs Graham Gooch is the highest test run scorer at the ground including 333 against India in 1990 there
0: you go I think we'll have some very upset Kiwis,
2: Pakistanis
1: and West Indians blame the bleacher report as I say no legal binding here so they were probably
2: good. in the top 25 though weren't they some of them are, I suppose something like, like Kensington Oval or something
1: yeah Queens Park Oval in West Indies Sabina Oval I mean very historic
0: certainly like really big moments at those grounds I'm not sure what the best ground in New Zealand would be I don't
2: know if either of you would would have a a, a choice not the cake tin the cake is a shocking cricket ground yeah. they should they should ban it they shouldn't cricket there it's two those boundaries are ridiculous
1: well, I'm with you on the uh, the um, the HPCA stadium Darren and uh that you know, bowling at the, into the Himalayan end. Yeah. There's nowhere else you can say that. That right. would be
2: magical to go and play there, actually.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm surprised the Kowloon Cricket Club didn't make the cut. But, okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Probably just missed out. It was number 26. Interesting. Okay, cool. Do we have any quotes or Muppets that we wanted to do this week? Or this week, this month? I had a great quote from Jose Mourinho, actually. It wasn't anything to do with cricket. Uh, obviously, just appointed as Tot's manager. But he said that, he won't make the same mistakes. He's going to make new mistakes, which I thought was great um, as a coach.
1: Clever. He, he really has
2: a lot of zingers, doesn't he?
1: He's good. Go I, ahead, I, go ahead. No, I
2: just said going to say I've got one from Tim Payne. He's always good for a quote. His
0: um, behind-the-wicket banter, I guess we can call it, continues. Uh,
2: he said of Mohammed Rizwan, smells good, he smells very nice. <laughs> <laughs> he also, before that, was saying to him... Um, because Nathan Lyon was bowling it, I think he was saying that Safraz would have swept that for four. He kept saying it to him, why don't you sweep it? He said Safraz would have whipped that away for four by now. Rizwan, is, of course, is the keeper that has replaced Safraz. And he was at him to sweep Nathan Lyon. Did he fall for it? Which he, 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 refused he refused to do it. He good, good man, Rizwan. Maybe he can't really understand what he's saying anyway with that broad Australian accent. going sweep it, mate. <laughs> Go on. Safraz would have swept that. <laughs> Probably didn't know what he was saying.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Toby...
1: I always have this vision of Tim Payne when he retires moving into the fashion world and, and having a, a label called House of Payne I think that would be perfect for him um, but anyway so I, I, aside as I was looking into these grounds I just came across a, a pearler from Ian Botham it's not it's not modern but he just he just says I don't ask Cathy to face Michael Holdings so I don't see why I should be changing nappies that was his you on family <laughs> oh life God. which was great what year was this? <laughs> this was like last year yeah. early early <laughs> yeah. Yeah. early 80s I hope
2: Jeez, dear me.
0: Shocking. Yeah, life according to Ian Botham. Didn't, wasn't his, his autobiography was titled Don't Tell Kath? Yeah, <laughs> <Is> that, <right? laughs> literally. that was literally the title of his autobiography. Gosh. Yeah, they're still married though, so well played to them. Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of them. Um, I don't think we need to do a Muppet of the Week. I think Bangladesh, certainly Shaqib Al-Hassan has, has reached a, a high level of Muppetry. So I think that brings us to a close for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back soon. It's certainly not, not as long a break as between our last two podcasts. Thank you all.